Well, here, here'd be a fun scenario. What if Carlton joined the Men in Black? Welcome to the Crooked Table Podcast, where we discuss the world of film from a fresh angle. And now your host, Robert Yanis Jr. Welcome to the Crooked Table Podcast. This is Rob. On this show, we democratize the film criticism conversation by bringing on fans and critics alike to dig into their personal connection to a current or classic release. This episode, I'm pleased to welcome to the show Justin Beck. Justin, welcome to the Crooked Table Podcast. Hello. <laughs> so, uh, you're also a podcaster, so can you tell uh, tell listeners a little bit about uh, your show, the Ditsy Comic Podcast, and uh, and everything else you have going on? Well, I started a fun, optimistic, outgoing podcast called the Ditsy Comic Podcast, the podcast itself, which is basically random fun while promoting whatever people want to promote. Um, yeah, we go out there, we have fun. I try to make people laugh. And when it's really tense, I try to start throwing jokes in there to break the ice a little bit and try to make the conversation move along. Well, maybe I can pick up on a little bit of that, that technique on this episode and, and, uh, take that going forward. Cause I did listen to, that's actually how we, how we got connected. Uh, uh, my wife Kai did an episode of your podcast, which people should go listen to. And, uh, and yeah, so you have a really a great way of connecting with guests and, as you said, kind of using humor and being very upbeat and just, just having talking about anything and everything um, in addition to what the, the guest has going on, just kind of just making it light and fun and, and engaging uh, conversation. And I think, you know, kudos, uh, kudos on that. Thank you. I will say it's definitely hard sometimes. There's certain subjects and certain people that just will not laugh. I really? feel like at that point in time, I need to just get a pie, throw it in my face, and go on. <laughs> without without getting uh, without naming names, any any kind of uh, examples you can give us? Well, I had one that was actually posted not too far before Kai's. It, it was an interesting episode uh, called "He Said It, I Didn't," and I just could not find a way to enlighten the episode. It took me forever to edit. And no matter what I edited or whatever I changed, it just did not make it work. So mm-hmm. it was one of those ones where I tell people just to hurry up and pass that episode and go to the next one. Right, right. Yeah, it's. I mean, it's it's tricky bringing when you when you're having a podcast that you bring different guests on all the time. As, you know, as I know that sometimes you you really gel with a person and and the conversation flows seamlessly and the editing is minimal and sometimes it's just almost like. I don't want to use the phrase pulling teeth, but it's like people come to the show and they're very businesslike and very formal. And the whole th- idea is to have a fun conversation. I mean, why do this if you're not going to enjoy yourself? It's not like there, for with it, in, except for rare exceptions, it's not like there's a ton of money just in starting a podcast and you're like, woohoo, rolling in it. It's mostly a, a labor of love for people like us. So it's, it, it yeah, that's, that's a, that could be definitely a challenge. So what actually brought you to, uh, the podcasting sphere and what what led you to want to start uh, to start your show. I know you have a a background in stand up comedy and things like that. So tell listeners a little bit about the journey that led you to podcasting. Honestly, I can say that if it wasn't for Mark Marin, I wouldn't be podcasting right now. I think a lot of people could say that actually because his show is one of those big crossovers. Is it just the 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 way that? It, his show just puts a spotlight on kind of the art of conversation that really drew you to it. Actually, it wasn't even that. Actually, it started with uh, Glow. 
Oh yeah. On Netflix. Um, when he first was over there and he was, I don't know, the talent scout or the manager or whatever he was at the time, something just made me want to just like start finding more of him. And then of course, you know, you found Marin on Netflix, which goes through his whole podcast thing. And then you start listening to his podcast and it's like, Oh, that's completely different, but it's like, Hey, it's real. Right. Yeah. Bringing you on different guests, touching different topics. And a lot of times you, you bring a person as you do with your show, you'll bring a person on to ostensibly speak on a specific topic or to talk about their project or whatever. And, and you never know where, where it's going to take you. You never know where it's going to, where it's going to go. And I know that's, that's really an important aspect of your show is there's a little, there's a little bit element, there's an element of improv to, to the Ditsy Comic Podcast that they think uh, helps it really stand out from a lot of, uh, a lot of, a lot of just conversation based podcasts that tend to be more structured. I actually spent a lot of time in acting classes and improv classes and stuff like that. And honestly, I'm not that funny. That's the worst part is I'm not that funny. <laughs> but are you ditzy? I'm just stupid. I'm just stupid. So, okay, so so your your podcast name is kind of half accurate, half hopeful, I guess. You're like, I know I'm well, ditzy, but I'm, I'm trying well, to be a comic. Here, here's the funny thing about that, too, because when people automatically spell ditzy, they always spell it with a Z. Mm-hmm. It can actually be spelled both ways and still be right. I was sitting there trying to come up with a name for the podcast. Nothing really clicked with me. Nothing really clicked. And then I came up with one that was the Ditsy Banana Podcast because, I don't know, bananas are funny. Mm -hmm. And I went to go register the name and everything, and just the website itself was going to cost me $63 a month. And it's like, okay, I cannot pay $63 a month just for a domain name. For some reason, that's a premium name, Ditsy Banana. Well, like you said, bananas are inherently funny. They're, they they slip on them. They they're phallic shaped, so that becomes suggestive. I mean, it's all kinds of different things. There's a lot of uh, a lot of options with bananas. They change. So color, then I kind of, of <laughs> I, I kind of even reached in like even deeper in my background. Like, right. okay, so what I do then? I I do stand up comedy. So I'm I'm a comic. So hmm, the Ditsy Comic Podcast was born. It's also, I, I think, and you probably found this as well, just having a podcast in addition to, you know, obviously it's a lot of work and planning and recording and editing and promoting and all that stuff, that it's just a great way to meet people, to connect with people. I mean, look, we're having this conversation now. So it's it's a great way to really kind of build a network of of interesting people that you just would never talk to otherwise. I completely agree. I've made a lot of friends all over the world doing this, so... Exactly. Yeah. And that's that's one of the think the things about doing this show that I, I found most rewarding is that, you know, I'm a I'm a freelance writer and I, I work from home and I have, you know, Makai and I have a have a little girl, so it's you know, I spend a lot of time watching her and taking care of her. I don't get out and have adult conversations that often. Um and it's certainly not about things that I'm passionate about like film and like podcasting and having the Crooked Table podcast, I get to kind of do both on a regular basis. And so that in and of itself I think is is been a really fun uh, aspect of having the show just to have that outlet. And I think that, you know, you, you know, you've probably seen experience or something very similar and it, it comes through in the, in the final product. It is definitely all about getting out there about the way that you view people. Like if you view people as boring, things are just not going to go in your favor. Mm-hmm. And I find that everybody always has something they need to say. So are you going to say, or are you just going to not let it happen? Right. I think that's part of why it's so cool now that everybody like 
literally like anybody can start a podcast and you know obviously the best ones will rise to the top presumably and uh, but you have all these voices out there that's I think that's that's a, it's a great opportunity. So I, I encourage listeners who who are uh, interested in your show to to check it out. It's on, I think I know you're on Apple Podcasts. Is there where else can they can they find the Ditsy Comic Podcast? All right. So this is the fun news. You ready? Go for it. I'm on all the major podcast networks. What? <laughs> so if someone has a podcast app, they can find you on there. Spotify, Apple, iTunes, Google, iHeartRadio, uh, Blurberry. There's um, Spotify, all of them. So, um, if you're listening to the Crooked Table podcast on any of those right now, go ahead, search for Ditsy Comic Podcast and download. Uh, I guess not the not the one that Justin said is is, is skippable. <laughs> start with the one with uh, start the start with the one episode with Kai and the newest one, and then kind of roll out from there. So, this episode we're going to be talking about Men in Black, uh, directed by Barry Sonnenfeld. So, let's listen to a little bit of the trailer right now. We work for a highly funded yet unofficial government agency. We'll take it from here. Who the hell are you? INS Division 6. There is no Division 6. Our mission is to monitor extraterrestrial activity on Earth. You're all here because you're the best of the best. And we're looking for one of you. Hey! What's up? I'm gonna get some coffee. You want some coffee? No, thank you. I'm fine. How are you doing, fellas? You guys get along all right? Yeah. All right, I'm in. From now on, you will have no identifying marks of any kind. You are no longer part of the system. We are the men in black. You know what the difference is between you and me? I make this look good. That was a little bit of the trailer for Men in Black from 1997, directed by Barry Sonnenfeld. And Justin, why did you want to talk about Men in Black? I know you mentioned initially Men in Black International, and I think at that point the box office returns were coming in. I was like, oh, that's going to be gone by the time this episode possibly gets posted. So why don't we broaden it out a little bit and talk about the first film and kind of the franchise. They did a similar approach to the John Wick uh, series recently on an episode. So what is it about Men in Black specifically that you, you know, drew you, you know, to, to talk about it for this episode? Honestly, when I chose Men in Black, I was thinking because of when I went to the theater of how much I was going to hate this movie and everything, and then going to the theater, and it's like, wow, I actually love that movie. Now, let's let's see. How did this movie come about, and why is it so different from the start? And, and it's just like the whole storyline kind of pulls you in, and then it's like it's aliens and everything else, and the rumor had it it was more or less going to be a mix between – Men in Black meets 21 Jump Street is how I perceived it. And no, there's no 21 Jump Street in there. Are you talking specifically about the new one or about the original Men in Black? Well, we're talking about the new one, but I'm going back to the original. Right. I actually reference Men in Black a lot. For instance, I am that firm believer that we are in the lockers right now. Okay. Okay. And that you. when that we one? open the locker, there's a whole other universe out there. Yeah, the the series really toys with that with that perspective of us kind of being a speck on one planet in a galaxy that's in a marble that's in a giant bag of marbles being played with by some aliens, uh, like at the end of the first film. And I, I think that's part of what makes the uh, makes the series so interesting is that it toys with the fact that 
we don't we know presumably so little about what is out there and right and really you know every day we just get so focused on oh i gotta go to work i gotta pay my bills so focus on what's happening here that there's a huge you know vast universe out there that we never know anything about just because we're like uh you know the the ant working in the anthill that doesn't realize oh there's a bunch of people walking around there's like a whole world out there that i'm not a part of and i think that's one instance of where the Men in Black franchise has always been, you know, has really drawn people in, in addition to everything else that we'll talk about. But there's an underlying theme throughout the films that uh, humans are are not as, they're not the center of the universe as they seem to think they are. I I agree, but it's funny because like even how they get their name, they literally wear the black suits, the shoes, the ties, sunglasses, and basically make you think of the men that are coming to get you, the men in the black. Mm Mm-hmm. Yeah, not the men in the white because they think you're crazy. You know, these are the ones that are coming to protect you from the alien invaders or whatever's going on. Right. So, did you see the original Men in Black in theaters? And what was your what was your experience like watching the movie then? Uh, and you know, what kind of role has it has it played? Uh, I guess in your in your cinema experience going forward, because I was 14 when the movie came out. And I, I was, this was a, it was a huge movie for me. And it's one that I watched a lot over the years. I was a big Will Smith fan with Fresh Prince of Bel-Air and the music and everything. And, um, you know, it, it was, it was a, one of those impactful movies that I've referenced a lot and watched a lot and, and, and things like this. So was that kind of the case for you? Kind of. Yeah. I mean, I was actually 10, not 14, but. Okay. I, w- I was a lot younger. My brain was barely there. <laughs> I remember watching it in the theater. I remember just like seeing the alien and then the car take off and everything. And I remember all of a sudden you see Will Smith as, I don't know, like a really super good guy going from being this really crazy kid to being this awesome agent that's coming around kicking butt. And yeah, it's it's funny. How do you write a movie about intergalactic war with aliens and stuff like this? Like... How do you come up with something like that with a name Men in Black, but yet it's about protecting the world? Right. And I, I, I don't know. That's a good question. I think that that's part of what makes the, the concept already in and of itself so intriguing is that it's based on, so it's based on a comic that was published by uh, Aircell and then Malibu, and then that was bought by Marvel. So technically, this is a Marvel comic book movie. Um, and yeah, it really it's it smartly plays off of the concept that you were referencing earlier of, ooh, the men in black, the government agents that just show up and and people disappear, kind of the way S.H.I.E.L.D., I guess, is depicted early in the uh, Marvel Cinematic Universe. It's a little bit of that. And then combining it with alien activity, and, and then there's like this whole, they're basically an immigration, you know, <laughs> immigration enforcement uh, unit. They license, monitor, and police alien activity on the planet Earth, basically, is their mission. So it's it's the combination i think it's the combination of genres too that really attracted a lot of audience members 20 something years ago uh but specifically you know specifically kids you know we were both young when we saw this movie so it's like um it it combines comedy and sci-fi and action and and everything kind of in the vein of something like ghostbusters almost does it it's a genre mashup where the cast really elevates the the material so here's my question then. Back then, were all the characters puppets? Because nowadays you have the CGI. Right. <laughs> but yet it looks exactly the same. It's weird. I think uh, I think there was some CGI in this. 
Uh, some of it hasn't particular, and that's one another thing I wanted to mention. Some of the CG I think hasn't really aged well. Some of the stuff with the bug nowadays looks like, ooh, that looks video gamey, and the the lighting isn't quite right or or whatever. Um, but there's a lot of this movie in in particular of uh, the makeup, which was won an Academy Award, Rick Baker's makeup and creature effects. So you get a lot of that in this film, just with um, with Mikey at the beginning of the movie. Holding the, the holding the head and, and his flippers and everything like a lot of those are actually, you know, animatronics and things like that. So and I think that's part of what the the new film doesn't. The new film has gone all CG. International is just all CG with all the aliens. And I feel like that's you know that's a little bit of a disservice in a way to the material because I I, I love that stuff. I love the practical effects. All of that that makes it feel more real. Makes it feel more tangible. And I don't know some some movies nowadays don't quite strike that right balance between using CG to serve the story and just relying on it as a crutch and, uh, you know, sacrificing kind of the, the tangibility of the, the world that they're trying to bring to life. What in the world would put your, make you put an agent starting as letters A and going through Z? What do you come to next when all your agents have been named? I know. I always wondered that too. Does that, does that mean there's only 26 agents? Do they start going A, A, B, B? First of all, I hate to be agent A, A, cause that just doesn't sound right. And then do they just double up the letters? A, B, B, C, C, D, D. Cause it, it seems like this is a huge, their headquarters is quite extensive and there's a lot of people there in black suits. So I don't know if maybe you have to be a field agent to get, uh, let's like, you know, James Bond, which is on my mind because recently posted the Skyfall episode. I don't know if it's like James Bond with the double O status that you have to, there's only a certain number of them or, uh, or what it is, but yeah, they, they don't, I guess only have 26 field agents, which is weird. But yet you never hear about all of them. You hear about A, you'll hear about J, you'll hear about K. And even in the new ones, it's like you're not hearing about all the new ones. No, there's an H and an M, I think, which is always <laughs> – which is weird to me because it's like H and M. That's, did they do that on purpose? Because that's pretty funny uh, in the new film. H and M what? Just like JK? Yeah. Well, yeah. I mean in this movie, it's alphabetical. So I guess they can, uh, they can only recruit – the next person they recruit has to be uh, – yeah, because it's A J K in this movie, and then L that at the end of the movie, when they when they um, when they recruit Linda Fiorentino, who by the way is really great in this movie, and then I just disappeared a few years later. She, I don't know exactly what the issue is with that. I know she was in this movie and uh, Dogma a couple years later, and then just hasn't really been super active. But she's great in this film. And then uh, I guess I guess M was recruited next. It's weird the way that it just kind of goes in alphabetical order, sort of. So did Z recruit A? Maybe. I see. These are the rules that I'd like to learn more about because they have a locker with all the with the letter J on it. So I don't. Maybe maybe since K recruits J, are, is each agent <laughs> responsible for recruiting the uh, the letters on either side of their of their name so k has to bring an agent j and an agent l into it before he can retire that's like the it's like the mafia that's his way of getting out he's like all right i got j i got l your name starts with l right your agent l uh peace i'm out i'm gonna go live my life well then then i got the next question here that's confusing me it's been confusing me all these years and i just want to know why who was the first person that invented the uh memorizer the one that takes your memory away Mm mm-hmm the neuralizer. I don't. He probably doesn't remember. He probably doesn't remember that he came up with it. He might have hit the button. It it would be kind of fun though, because could you imagine being that one person that what that first did it? Like, hey, I invented a neuralizer, neutralizer. 
And all of a sudden, poof. Wait, who am I? <laughs> what is this thing? everybody's <laughs> memory. That's what I'm saying. That's why it might have been a long, there might have been a really long process for that to actually get invented. It could have been decades of just be one person to the next, just trying to figure out how to make this thing work or what it is and <laughs> what it could do and all that stuff. But now, okay, so now you're back in here. You're in these alien race and everything. You're trying to protect the aliens. You're trying to protect the humans. How do you decide which side to take precedence over? I mean, they want to protect the Earth from the scum of the universe. That's the tagline for the movie, if I'm remembering correctly. So I, I guess humans uh, take precedence, but also, you know, let, let the aliens, as long as they're peaceful, they're, they're fine to just kind of live among us, I guess, is what is what happens in this movie. So it's, you know, just, I don't even know if this was, well, I mean, this is obviously intentional because in the early in the movie, the uh, the aliens are kind of uh, sneaking, well, one of them at least is kind of sneaking over the border disguised as, as a Mexican immigrant. So there's obviously a kind of political uh, analog to this movie as far as like immigration and aliens in our country and things like that. So it's, uh, I think it adds a little more depth to the movie, but that's an interesting question. I think that's something that the movie is kind of, kind of uh, riffing on a little bit and having, you know, you see at, at, at MIB headquarters, it's basically like in a lot in a lot of ways a customs. There, are people are walking in like any vegetables to declare that kind of stuff. That it it is just a screening process, I guess, to make sure that not a I don't know, for instance, a giant cockroach in a, in a man's, uh, in a man's body, uh, <laughs> trying to conquer the world and start a war. Well, I got, I gotta say out of all of those, I absolutely like, um, the guy who plays Edgar in the movie and saying, uh, Trio, and I think he's hilarious. And I think he's one of those ones that carries on and, just keeps going and going and going and somehow finds a way to make it funny. Honestly, I feel like Vincent D'Onofrio is a big reason that this movie has endured in the way that it has. And, you know, because Will Smith and Tommy Lee Jones are in the first three. Uh, I really love the first one. The second one is a mess. And the third one is fine. And that's that's kind of my breakdown of the three uh, original Men in Black movies, not not the new one. And uh, their dynamic is always really fun. And I feel like everybody credits their chemistry with why this first movie is, is really uh, stuck in people's minds and become such a big pop cultural phenomenon that it was, you know, spawned an entire franchise and, and lots of lines of dialogue that, you know, I was, you know, my, me and my family, we would quote this movie a lot. The best of the best of the best with honors and all that stuff. But I feel like, a lot, honestly, a lot of the ones... A lot of the moments that I remember, a lot of what really sticks in my head is the Vincent D'Onofrio stuff. That he has the task here of playing a giant uh, space cockroach, yeah, and and based in a farmer's body where he's wearing the skin and where his body is uh, clearly visibly decaying over the course of the movie, and and yet he he really like delves. He really goes for it with the character, and he has the voice and the mannerisms, and, and it's, it's a real physical performance. But that's what brings it to life. Like, you can't just count on Tommy Lee Jones and Will Smith, because without the other people in there playing their other roles, you know, what do you got? You know, every story, every hero, and they say, as they say, is only as good as 
their villain. And I think in this movie, Vincent D'Onofrio really brings it. And it honestly is easily the best performance in the film. He actually got a Saturn award for best supporting actor. A Saturn award for people that don't know is, uh, awards the best in, in, uh, television and movies and entertainment, basically with sci-fi and horror and, uh, fantasy and things like that. So, uh, you know, at least within the world of the genre, people recognize that what he does here is, kind of hard to do it's not it's not a normal he's not playing like a mustache twirling villain he's just this bug who's just crammed into this little this little flesh costume and uh just become very irritable and very like uh aggressive obviously and and he just there's a there's a real sense of like kind of dark humor that just naturally comes from that from that concept but how do you have so many different kinds of humors in one script you have the dark humor, you have the eccentric humor, you have all the different like sets there, you have all the different setups, like even Three Stooges moments in there. Yeah, yeah. And, and combine all those to make a movie that somehow is just entertaining. I think it's a real, it's a real balance of tone, I think, is what it is. Because as I mentioned, this is comedy, action, sci-fi. This guy's story actually has a lot of, uh, a lot of heart to it in the end with Kay's story and the way that that, that revol- re- resolves itself. And uh, as, you know, as you alluded to, it's, it's really, it's a strange movie. There's, there's a scene where uh, Will Smith and Linda Fiorentino are flirting while they like have their, their like, like elbow deep into a dead body. And it's just like, it's just really, it, it's, I think it, it's a testament to, the the director, the, which is in this case is Barry Sonnenfeld, who before this had done Get Shorty. He did the uh, the Michael J. Fox movie uh, for Love or Money. He did the two Adams Family films, which have kind of a similar sensibility in that they are really quirky and offbeat and 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 run the gamut between like uh, dialogue driven, quick witted humor and also just visual gags and things like that. And it's it's a real magic trick that this movie is able to one work at all. But to work as as well as it does, the fact that this was essentially, you know, it's made two hundred fifty million at the at the domestic box office and five eighty nine worldwide. This is basically the second highest grossing movie after a little film called Titanic in nineteen ninety seven. So it, it was a it was a big deal that they were able to pull this off. I think a part of that is owed to you know at least box office wise is owed to Will Smith's uh, career trajectory at that point coming right after right after Independence Day, but. Yeah, I know, I know. It's that, and that's something that every time I watch this movie, I'm like, this is not going to hold up. This is not going to work. It's not going to be as good as it was when I was 14 and saw it in theaters. And then actually, I appreciate it more. The old, you know, when you when you see this as a kid, you your experience like, oh, cool, aliens, and your experience, you're you're just kind of wrapped up, enveloped in in the the world that that the movie creates. But when you get older, then you see like, oh, that's kind of a subtle joke, or oh my gosh, they were they went there with that, or like, wow, this is. This is actually kind of uh, kind of crazy that this is all happening on screen, and I'm watching it. Um, you you kind of you really admire more what Sonnenfeld and, and Solomon and, and you know their cast really pulls off. Yeah, but then look at what they left out in the new movie. They don't have any mention at all of Agent K or Agent J. There's a there's a brief. There's like one of the murals in there off in uh, the. Uh, what's her name? Oh, uh, Emma Thompson's character her, in her office is less like oh, a J and K with the bug. But that's yeah, that's about it. It just it's just kind of the legacy that that J and K left behind. So since you since you mentioned international, what was your what were your thoughts on Men in Black International overall? Did you see the uh, the other two sequels as well? 
I did see the other two sequels. Um, honestly, number two to me was pretty much exactly like number one. Really? Same storyline, more or less, and just twisted a little bit more. Yeah. What about th- um, what about I, three? I, three? I'm trying to remember most of three. I do know I saw it. It was not that long ago. Yeah, the third one. What I what I liked about the third one is that they actually just they were like, yeah, let's just let's just go for it. Let's bring time travel into this world. It's not crazy enough. <laughs> let's let's start doing time. Which I, and I'm a sucker for for a time so when they travel. Go back so. to like 1969 or and all that. All the fun stuff that they did. Yes, yeah. And then you have Josh Brolin doing a Pitch Perfect uh, Tommy Lee Jones impression. But I don't remember in Men in Black 3, um, Agent J or K dying. I know Agent K did. He disappeared. Right. Early on, he disappears. And I, my, my only thing with the third one, as I, I, as I mentioned, I love I'm, I loved time travel stuff. So that was all. It was interesting and, uh, and a fun way to enliven the franchise a little bit after after two, which I yeah, did not care for at all. Um, but they also at the end kind of retcon their relationship a little bit where I guess it, it because Jay goes back in time and he his his father ends up there's a soldier that helps uh, K in his mission there young agent K so it basically establishes that agent K knew uh, Jay's father and then like I guess kind of felt responsible for for uh, a Jay's dad's uh, death because he gets killed helping agent K with a mission in that at the end of that movie and so that was more like he he that was i guess more some of the rationale or why he recruited him into men, into the men in black and and then he kind of saw himself as sort of responsible for for jay and kind of more of a of a father figure to him in light of what happened to his father and things like that so uh, that was felt like kind of weird and doesn't really add up with this movie when you when you think about it but um but for the most part i thought the third one was was decent i i found it kind of fun and then International, as you mentioned, has no JK. It's just, you know, Chris Hemsworth and Tessa Thompson right off of Thor Ragnarok. So just hoping to recapture that Marvel lightning in a bottle. So what were your what were your thoughts on the new one? Well, my first thought was, how can you make the movie without Will Smith? I went in there not knowing who the cast was, not knowing who anybody was in that movie. You have Chris Hemsworth there playing pretty much the lead role. Uh, narcissistic person who really only cares about himself and is only up for partying and doesn't care what anybody else to say. He only does his own thing, which is kind of a weird role for him to play. I mean, it's completely different other than, you know, I don't know what, drunk Thor. <laughs> yeah. Then, like, the story was not that bad. I'm a little disappointed they didn't go back in time, but going back on something you touched on earlier, how they have all these qualifications and everything in order to get into the Men in Black, right? Right. But yet the girl goes and she gets right in. Yeah, yeah. She's like, I found all you. I'm like, all right. She's been tracking them, so they let her in because she's been tracking them. Right. Yeah. I, it's. I don't know. I, I on a surface level, like I feel like because I I watched the trailers for Men in Black International. I'm being a huge fan of at least the first one, and and hope like hoping they were gonna nail it. And it's it's fine. I found Men in Black International okay. Like it wasn't it wasn't terrible. Uh, and it wasn't, but it wasn't great either. It was just kind of there. Like it didn't, every, every sequel after the first one has tried to recapture and retread the same story of the first one or some variation on it rather than really move forward. For example, in the, in the sequels in two and three, I mean, obviously they didn't get Linda Fiorentino back for whatever reason, 
but I, I was kind of hoping that the second one would have been J and L and not necessarily bringing Tommy Lee Jones back because as you said, the second one ends up just kind of playing like a retread of the first one. It's like only now he's recruiting him and, and it doesn't really let this... If we, we touched on how this is such a, a complex and interesting universe that the movie creates and they don't really delve much deeper into it. It's just kind of like playing those same, say playing the same hits all over again in every sequel. And this movie was just kind of the same thing, but with different leads, I guess. Uh, and I think a big part of it too, is that, you know, the script just wasn't there first of all. And I, I love Hemsworth. I love Tessa Thompson, but this, the first movie, not only do they have, the Will Smith at his Will Smith. This is Will Smith at his Will Smithiest in this movie too, where he's just like got all his little, his little, uh, you know, his, his mannerisms, like his little quips, his attitude, like the kind of the swagger and, and then the humor and everything that he brought to his show that he brought to Independence Day, things like that. And, um, but, but in, besides him, besides Tommy Lee Jones doing his curmudgeon thing, having Rip Torn, who just passed away and, uh, you know, earlier this week, or as of this recording, and as Zed, and um, who who contrary to popular belief is not hosting an intergalactic kegger down here, as he says in the movie. Um, having Vincent D'Onofrio, even having Shaban Fallon Hogan as Beatrice, Edgar's wife, the Vincent D'Onofrio character's wife in the movie. I thought she was great in what could have easily just been a really forgettable role, but everybody understands exactly what kind of movie they're they're in and and how to how to play to the humor. It's it. It's we were saying earlier how the movie has so many different types of comedy, but I think really in general, it kind of boils down to being a comedy of contrast. Would you say? It does. It goes completely against everything. Yeah. What, so you, what happened to Agent Zed? I think he passed away sometime, maybe either early in the third one. I feel like there's a funeral for him early in the third one. Um, that they, but I don't, for whatever reason, they didn't get Rip Torn back. Maybe they just wanted to, I guess, in the third movie, start start expanding out and introducing more characters. But uh, I think Rip Torn is so, is so much fun here as uh, as the the boss. Uh, kind of, <laughs> kind of, you know, the whole movie starts out with uh, when they rec- when Jay is recruited. Uh, he's like, all right, you know, if I'm going to come in here, you recognize the skills. So I don't want anybody calling me kid or sport or anything like that. And then throughout the course of the movie, Tommy Lee Jones and Rip Torn, like purposefully go out of their way to do that every time they interact with him, which are the little subtle running gags that I think make this movie, uh, make this movie work. And you kind of unify the, the, uh, I don't know the story, but it's, you know, you have Jay as like a street smart NYPD cop versus this like kind of this weary, uh, weary older agent. And you have everybody with the different viewpoints and different ways of working and different levels of knowledge about about the uh, the aliens that they deal with. You have that, that scene, which is, again, going to the, the visual nature of some of the comedy where uh, J- Kay is having a conversation with, and he's talking to him about like, oh, how come you're, where are you going? Where are you heading? Whatever. And in the background, you see Jay dealing with Regic's pregnant wife and there's tentacles coming out and she's like lifting him in the air and slamming him against the car. So it's just like that, that kind of marriage of, of like straight laced government agent and uh, this kind of crazy, uh, crazy alien hijinks. I think that, that, that makes it work, and the new movie doesn't really seem to be too uh, be too interested in uh, in exploring that dynamic between uh, our world and the world that the Men in Black deal with on a daily basis. That one, like that one, goes more like what you said about the first one. 
how it more or less um, just throws you right into their world. Yeah. Like you don't really get any other backstory in there or anything. So it kind of, that's one thing I do say that it definitely missed. It was missing that extra alien feel like where they're definitely associating themselves with you. I just had a question and I totally, nope, nope, <laughs> I got it. All right, good. Say, saved it. So after Men in Black came out, then they came out with the Men in Black animated series. Yes. Did that series somehow play a part in the way that the last two movies have been made? I don't think so. I, I watched it intermittently as a kid, but at that point I was, you know, in my, it was in high school, so I wasn't really watching cartoons, like Saturday morning cartoons as much anymore. Uh, I'd moved on to, I guess, primetime sitcoms really most of that, mostly at that point. But I think it was really kind of doing its own thing. I think it, it's actually more, it's actually less goofy than the, than the movie, than this movie. I, I maybe it, it's, and the character designs are completely different. Like, None, none of them really look very much like the characters in this movie. It reminds me actually of the Ghostbusters, the real Ghostbusters cartoon from the 80s, which I, I watched as a, as a little, little kid, um, where the, the, it's really just kind of took the basic idea of the film it was based on and then just ran ran with in a different direction with it completely. So I don't really think it's tied into the movies or really even influenced them that much. But, uh, but I'm glad you brought that up. Is that, were you familiar with, did you watch the, the animated series? I watched a little bit of it, but that's why I was wondering, like, okay, you came up with this whole other series, why can you play into, like, how the movie is now? Right. Kind of like Marvel has done for the last, you know, what, 22 films? Right, yeah, pretty much. Yeah. And if you're going to have a sequel, at least try to make it better. Yeah, unfortunately, it, it, it seems like with the sequels at this point that it's been consistently diminishing returns. The first one was huge. The second one was big, but not as. Third one, less so. And then now this fourth one, this reboot is just big flop this summer. So I don't know if that's part of it is just that it's just a really busy summer or the people had, you know, bad word of mouth. Or I mean, it's not terrible. It's fine. But um, for another thing, we're talking about things that spun off of the this film. Have you ever been on the uh, Men in Black ride at Universal? The original one in Florida, yes, I was on that. Yeah, what did you think of that? Because I thought that that did. That's the one where you're shooting like the lasers and trying yeah. to kill aliens. Yeah, it start, Yeah, it's. Um, it, I thought that one did a, a, a. What I really like about Universal is that their whole thing has always been ride the movies, and I thought that. That ride specifically did a really good job of bringing you into the world because it starts with a, a whole like recruitment thing where the, at the outside it's just like, hey, come and try this new thing. We're going to, you know, it's, it's just like it's got like a, there's a cover for why you're being brought in. I forget exactly what the setup is, but you're like volunteering for whatever. And then it starts off with this kind of like voiceover like, welcome to so and so whatever. And then it's like mm, shuts down. It's like initiating men in black recruitment thing. And then the music kicks in the great Danny Elfman score. That, that which is very memorable from this movie as well. You get on the elevator, they take you through the headquarters and everything, and then it, it leads you down to this whole, uh, you know, this whole training sequence that gets then gets invaded by real aliens and all of that. So, uh, I what did what were your what, what did you think of the the ride when you when you went on it and and how it how it expands on this this movie and and recreates the the feel of uh, of the film itself. I'm gonna say right off the get go, I have horrible aim. Well, yeah, I so didn't ask you. I didn't ask you what, what your score was. <laughs> but yes, a, a ride where I have to go around and shoot things. It kind of messes with me because I have terrible aim at everything. 
So I was more or less trying to focus on shooting the alien and everything, all the one spot alien, and I could never shoot the alien. I was more or less trying to win the whole time, then listen to the backstory. Right. <laughs> it doesn't sound like that worked out too well for you. No. I'm, I'm pretty sure our team finished last. <laughs> to be honest, I'm looking more forward to Avatar. Because from what I've read, each one's going to have its own story, so you're not even going to have to need to know or watch the last one to know what's going on. Well, that's good. That's helpful. So basically, what's going to happen is it's going to pull like a uh, Final Destination type thing where they're going to start writing the one story and then somehow another story is going to it's going to connect, but you're not going to need to watch the other movie to know what's going on. Interesting. I mean, at this point with that franchise, I'm really just wondering what what he's going to do with it because it's it's when you're watching a, a film, uh, just a singular movie, you can imagine where it could go in sequels. I mean, in this one, just like I said, we talked about how this film has such a a unique blend of genres. And it's such, a, such an interesting uh, concept with so much potential for growth. You see something like Star Wars, the original, A New Hope, and you're like, wow, where could they go with that? And then it's so, so with Avatar, that movie now was um, a decade ago. I, I still kind of, kind of wondering, well, well, what are they, what are, what are they going to take? Where are we going to take that next? Because that, like, a sequel could literally go anywhere. I have no, there's no precedent for what an Avatar sequel is. Okay, so just so you know, the rumor has it, the first sequel is supposed to be based underwater. That I had heard. That I had heard. And then I know James Cameron is really, really into underwater stuff with Abyss and Titanic and such. Yeah, I think he just likes watching people drown. <laughs> yeah, it's possible. It's like, all right, Zoe Saldana, we're going to see how long you can hold your breath underwater. Sorry, I had to throw in a little bit of my humor somewhere. <laughs> it's all good. It's all good. Well, hopefully, hopefully uh, everything goes well in <laughs> the set of the Avatar sequels, and there's no tragedies coming out of uh, crew members drowning or anything. You never know with James Cameron; he's always pushing. He's always pushing the uh, the boundaries on what filmmaking can do. So uh, it kind of wouldn't surprise me for him to be the guy for something crazy to happen on set. But going back to Men in Black, um, Men in Black still at my theater. Yeah, that's good. All right, I'm surprised. I'm actually very surprised because I thought by now it would have already been on DVD. <laughs> in the in the the bargain bin at Walmart, right? I'll, I'll tell you my favorite character in the new Men in Black movie, little chess piece, that little like blue guy. With the- yes. Oh yeah, yeah. He's definitely ab- absolutely. That's uh, Kumail Nanjiani from uh, The Big Sick, and I think he's on Silicon Valley and, and such. Yeah, he was great. That character was fun. I, I, and that's the thing too with these with the sequels. I feel like the side characters are always way more fun and way more interesting than the uh, than the main the main characters of the movie. And that's I don't know. I don't know. I don't really think that's a good thing <laughs> that when when your main characters are kind of bland and and it, it really falls to the uh, the supporting players to just kind of make things interesting. But you had a look, though. Then all of a sudden, this little guy comes out basically to be the, uh, the person who saves the world. Yeah, yeah. I love that little guy. The smallest Quanti. person in the world is the one who saves the world. I feel like there's going to be a spinoff just of him. I would be down for something with something more with that character, for sure. Because he was, he's probably one of the, honestly, he's probably one of the best bits to come out of any of the sequels. 
um, just because he he does have that he he's got that he's got like that quick humor that that uh, that the first one has in, in moments, and he also has the physical presence. He's visually interesting. He's really in a lot of ways kind of an encapsulation of what this franchise is when it's at its best. Actually, now that I'm thinking about it. But it's like you go from having your whole colony destroyed to being basically the the I don't know the actual pawn of the plan. Mm-hmm. Right. And he he pledges loyalty to Tessa Thompson, so he's just like a, kind of along for the for the ride with us too. Which yeah, I I that's a good call. He was really fun. But some of the other characters, I feel like their character development needed more. The girl, I feel like there's a lot more she could have done for her role. And of course, you know, watching anytime you watch someone like um, Chris Hemsworth in a movie, you're expecting something great to come out of it. And it just seemed like it was lacking a lot of action there. Yeah. I, I don't know if a part of it is just the, his arc with getting, getting himself back on track and back in, you know, his head back in the game and all that. Cause he was kind of in a down period for that character. It just lacked a lot of the charisma that he's brought, that he's brought to Thor over the MCU. And uh, I, I mean, uh, I don't know. I don't know how, I don't really got to get too spoilery as I guess it's, it is in theories, but the villain twist at the end was not really a twist at all. Like that was something you could see from the trailer that th- this was how it was going to go. Who, I couldn't figure out who it was at the beginning. And I'm sitting there trying to figure out who it was. Got all the way to the end. I'm like, oh, it's him. And then realized it's not even him. It was somebody else completely. Right. I don't feel, I feel like the movie thinks that it's a lot more, it thinks it's a lot more clever than it actually is at this point. Uh, it's, it, I don't want to, you know, I don't want to crap on the movie too much, but it's, it's fine. It's just, it's like there were elements that like, mostly goes, mostly people who are interested in Men in Black International should just go see it for Pawnee, I think is, is our big takeaway. What do you, what would you, in the light of International, what would you like to see happen to the Men in Black as a film series? Like, do you, would you even want them to try again to reboot it or to try and do a sequel to International or should they just, let it lie or do a Netflix series or what do you, what do you, would you want to see happen to this property now? All right. So I'm going to throw out the weirdest reference of all power Rangers. If you actually ever watched the TV series within the last year or so, they basically had one episode where all the Rangers went into different galaxies to pull out all the, all the original Rangers, like all the different task forces and everything. Mm -hmm. So you had a big fight scene with like, all the different Power Rangers from all the different universals, universes, and basically how they went up there to defeat the big, uh, the big bad guy. But yet it was pretty much all the original Rangers all the way up to the new uh, whatever Strike Force or whatever it is. Mm-hmm. But it, I see that happening in Men in Black, where sometime in the future, Men in Black is going to have to somehow go back recruit all the members of the men in black agents a through Z and have a big battle. That would be cool. And you including, obviously including Will Smith and Tommy Lee Jones, get them in there one last time. Yep. Like basically go back into the future, back into the past and recruit them along into the future and basically fight a galactic war. Who knows? Maybe they'll be fighting Thanos. Yeah, maybe they will. There'll be a lot of portals opening up with men in black agents popping out. No, that's cool. I didn't know about that Power Rangers uh, thing. I, that was another big thing for me in the '90s. Is that I uh, I was big into the original run of the Power, the Mighty Morphin Power Rangers, and the movie came out in '95 on on my birthday. So that was like my whole twelfth birthday was 
centered on the Power Rangers movie coming out and going to see it because uh, that was a that was a huge thing for me. So I have to I'll have to look into that that new thing just to check it out and see how it ties into the Rangers that I know. Well, it's like I had to because I saw it once before, and I'm like, I gotta watch that. I gotta watch all the Power Rangers fight. I want to see the old Power Rangers in action. Yeah, and there are certain properties that I there are certain properties like Power Rangers that I just have such a such a soft spot for nostalgic wise that I I were huge informative uh, pop cultural touchstones. You know, I guess kind of like Men in Black, at least the first film. That that is something that I I'm just innately going to be curious about and going to want to to check out just because it it, it hits me in uh in the in the nostalgic feels I guess. So it's it's why it's always frustrating for me when a new Men in Black movie comes out and it doesn't live up to what this movie is. With this concept, seems like it should be endless. They should be able to to uh as you as you mentioned to kind of launch into a an intergalactic war and and bring you know a big ensemble cast into it and i guess at marvel make a making a, a marvel cinematic universe kind of thing out of men in black but they just haven't been able to get there because it, it's i don't know it, they haven't had the right team assembled to do so or something it's it's just frustrating as a fan of this of this original movie to see them keep missing the mark i guess well, I see that happening because they're going to find a way to tie all these letters together somehow. Yeah. Yeah. Because they're going to go through the whole alphabet before they figure out that they can't do anymore. So they're going to be like, okay, so what can we do? We're going to get everybody from the past, everybody from the present, everybody from the future. And we're going to make one giant uh, battle and we're going to do this and we're going to just kick butt with it. Yeah. Somebody will be like, Men in Black, roll call. And they'll be like, A, B, C, D, E, F, G, all the way down. Um, but yeah, no, that would be, that's a good idea. I think that the, it's, I don't know. I feel like for now, maybe the property is best off kind of doing something different with it, doing, uh, and doing, go back, going back and doing an animated series or, or, uh, or something like that, just to kind of get audience goodwill back after this movie didn't really perform very well. And then maybe revisit it later down the line. Cause it's just, it's a cool idea. I don't know. Maybe they need to bring Barry Sonnenfeld back and and see if they can kind of uh, restore the the Men in Black's former glory, as it were. I have a different thought and direction there. Okay, lay it on me. The director from the Kingsman Secret, sir, uh, the Golden Ring. Yeah, yeah, he did both of them actually. Matthew Vaughn, he would be a good choice too. He has those films are actually very Men in Black ish, uh, minus the aliens. But just like the fast pace, the action, how it's nonstop all the way through. Yeah, I feel like that's what it needs. Yeah, no, that's a good call. He would be a good he would be a good uh, person to take that on. I know they're doing a prequel to Kingsman, and then they're going to do a third last third one with uh, Colin Firth and Taron Egerton. But then maybe after that, he'll be open to another franchise. Who knows? That's a that's a good call. He has rarely made a a bad movie, Matthew Vaughn. I think he has just the right energy for uh for a property like men in black and like i said kingsman is tonally kind of similar to, to this in a lot of ways minus like i said minus all you got to do is have the kingsman encounter some aliens pretty much and that's a men in black movie <laughs> <laughs> i don't know if that's too on the nose i can, I can, I can imagine that uh, nice car ride down that road where he's in that big fight scene fighting an alien instead of a robot yeah exactly in fact you know how they were gonna do uh it was rumored with the sony hack back in like what is it 2014 or whatever that they were supposed to do a, a the men in black jump street movie and that obviously didn't happen so maybe what they need to do is to do king's men in black 
and then combine those two franchises because that would work really well. Actually, if they want to do genre, like uh, franchise mashups, and uh, let's be honest, after the fact, the fact that everything is a franchise, everything is a cinematic universe, the next logical step is like, hey, we own this. Let's we own this. Let's mash this all together. And so I, I don't know. I think they're different studios, so that might be a problem. But if they can f- figure that out and work around the the red tape, then uh, I think that's kind of a natural fit. I think that'd be an interesting uh, choice in actors, though. You have Channing Tatum playing one, and then you have, you know, totally opposite. You have Chris Hemsworth playing another. Right. And then you got Halle Berry, who was in Golden Circle. Yeah, and then you got Halle Berry. I mean, you could throw in the Fresh Prince, you know, a little bit in there. And then you got, like, a perfect all-star cast of action. Yeah. With the director behind it that that, uh, understands how to to synthesize all of that and bring it together into a satisfying... And, uh, you know, funny and, and uh, thrilling uh, narrative. So, yeah, I, I would be down for that. I think we just I think we just solved your men in black problem, Sony. Listen up. <laughs> Better forward it. Hopefully we don't get uh, sued. <laughs> yeah, exactly. We're going to copyright this. We'll, we'll, we'll write up a treatment after this episode and and copyright it and then send it off to Sony and uh, and Fox, I guess, who I think they have Kingsman. See if we can work together. I mean, if Sony and Marvel can share custody of Spider-Man, then anything is uh, anything is possible. So, uh, Justin, is there anything else about Men in Black, or I guess anything at this point, that you want to uh, that you want to mention before we start closing down? All I can say is, rumor has it is that they've already started writing up the script for the next um, Men in Black. Really? Okay. What? Where that? Where is it going to go from here? Is what I'd be interested in. I. I think- I think we're finally going to see the, uh, you know, the, the Men in Black Jump Street crossover. I would be down for that. I'm, that sounds fun to me. I mean, I really love those Jump Street movies, and it doesn't doesn't seem like they're going to do a conventional third film, especially since the first one makes fun of reboots and the second one makes fun of sequels and the third one would just what make fun of trilogies. That feels like it's kind of rote at that point. So I think doing something radically different with it would be a good idea. So Justin. Tell listeners where they can find you on social media. Well, that one's kind of a hard one because honestly, I don't know half my uh, social media accounts, but I can tell you the easy way to do it. Just go to Google and type in Ditsy Comic Podcast. It'll come up with the Twitter. It'll come up with the Facebook. It'll come up with all the different places you can find me. Most of the time, I think I know Twitter is the Ditsy Comic. I at least know that one. And you can also... Find me on this uh, nice little podcast called the Crooked Table Podcast. There you go. That's right. I love when you're on my show promoting my show. I appreciate that. <laughs> just never know what tricks I got of me. That's right. That's right. And I'm I, just telling you because uh, next thing you know, you're going to be put into a whirlwind of what's going on. <laughs> Marvin Gay style. What's going on? Uh, well, Justin, it's been a pleasure and, uh, I'm looking forward to as of, actually of this recording, as of this recording, I'm going to be on your show, uh, within the next few days so that we'll be talking again very soon. I look forward to that. Uh, listeners should definitely check out the Ditsy comic podcast. They can hear Kai on there and, and me at some point. Uh, so definitely look out for Justin's new episode. Like he said, you never know what, he, what you're going to, what, what to expect. So, uh, at that unpredictability, if you're looking for a podcast where you never know where the conversation is going to go. That's that's Ditsy Comics. So uh, that's kind of Justin's brand. So, Justin, thanks so much for being on the Crooked Tail Podcast. This has been a blast. I look forward to uh, talking to you again soon. Can I end this the way I would on my podcast? Can you end this the way that you end your podcast? Sure. You just got done listening to the Crooked Table Podcast. This 
is the Ditsy Comic with Robert Yannis on his podcast, the Crooked Table Podcast, and we totally went off the road today. <laughs> that we did. That we definitely did. Off the, the planet, too. Okay, we went out of the galaxy. Got it. <laughs> Thanks, Justin. If you're interested in joining me on the show to chat about one of your favorite films, head on over to crookedtable.com slash guest. Or you can consider supporting the show at patreon.com slash crookedtable. Of course, you can always find more podcasts, reviews, videos, and other movie-related goodies over at crookedtable.com. Until next time, this has been the Crooked Table Podcast, and I've been Rob. This has been a production of crookedtable.com. All rights reserved. That's the yard of a little KED.